You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's it going? Merry Christmas. We are so glad that you're here with us. And I, I want to tell you, I, I, you know this probably, that your relationship to Christmas changes based on your age, especially if you're a dad, just like your relationship to Santa Claus changes based on your age. Like when you're a kid, you believe in Santa Claus, you get a little bit older, then you don't believe in Santa Claus, then you, get, you have children and you become Santa Claus, and, and then you look like Santa Claus. And so, and, and the same thing happens with, with Christmas. When you're a kid, you're dreaming about all the stuff that you're going to get, and then you get a little bit older, and you dream about all the stuff that you're going to do. And then you become a parent, and you're, like, and you're thinking about all the stuff you hope you don't get. If I get another tie, I'm going to strangle somebody with it. Uh, I, I like ties. I really do. I don't wear them often, but I do like ties. Uh, but I have over 100 ties. I could wear a tie every week for two years and not repeat. I have enough. All right? And so, and, and you know what the, equivalent, the mom equivalent is, just if you're not aware? There's three mom equivalents to dad getting a tie. Uh, one is the journal. The second is scented candles. And the third is coffee mugs. And, um, I, and by the way, when people get this stuff, these are all things that are being re-gifted. I have a personal belief that 50% of all mugs in circulation have never been used. They're simply changing hands on given holidays. And by the way, the dad equivalent, of course, is ties, wallets, and then the never asked for shaving kit. And, uh, but you know, and, and we're all pros. I tell you what, we're all pros at it. We get a bad gift and we say all the right things and ooh and ah, and then we train our kids to be good actors. And, and we do, we, we, we give our kids acting lessons and we're like, you better smile and say thank you, even if that gift is complete trash. And then our kids are like, oh, I love it so much, I can't wait to use this Golden Girls Chia Pet. And, 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 but there really is something about when you get the perfect gift, the gift that you weren't asking for, the gift you didn't know that you needed and then someone gave it to you and you're like, this is the greatest gift of all time. So we had one of our pastors a couple years ago, uh, whose name is John, he left to go start a church. Now, why would he go do something like that? Who knows? Uh, we had a good thing going here for 19 years. Anyway, but he, he left, and he's pastoring a great church on the other side of Florida. And uh, for Christmas last year, he mailed me a gift. And what it was, was it was a, um, a frame of the very first flyer. Now, this is how old it is. We didn't have business cards. We printed flyers announcing that we had started this brand new Bible study in Miami Lakes for whoever wanted to come out. And so John kept it for 19 years and then framed it and mailed it to me. And I was over the moon. And I walked around with the frame in my hand for a week. And the people would be like, Pastor Bob, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And I would tell them the whole story of it. And uh, anyway, it's in, it's in my office now. But it was not a gift that I could say I even had asked, I'd never asked for, but it was the perfect gift. And, and by the way, here's something you need to know. If you, you're probably aware of this, but just in case you aren't, sometimes the gifts that you get are sending you a message. Um, and, and, and you need finely honed senses 
to be able to realize that. So if someone is like, hey, I got you this gift card to get a massage, <laughs> you might be too tense. You need to, they're like, relax, bro. Um, if someone buys you a gift card uh, to Barnes & Noble, so they're trying to raise the IQ points in your life. And so a few years ago, my wife uh, bought me a weight bench for Christmas that I did not ask for. And I'm like, okay. And then the next year, she bought me a workout book that I didn't ask for. Two years ago, she bought me a heart monitor that I can like strap on. So I'm fully expecting in my stocking this year to find an urn. Uh, I'll let you know how that goes. But, but you want to know something? This is exactly what God did at the first Christmas. He gave the world what they wanted, what they needed, but certainly not in the way that they wanted it. So what I want to do in our time together is walk through a very famous passage. And if you're a new Christian or not a Christian, or even if you're, you know, if you're a Christian, you're like the Bible champion of 1974. Um, you've, you've probably heard this verse, seen this verse, read this verse somewhere. And, and once again, sometimes we see verses like that and we think, well, they just kind of drop in and just random passages in the Old Testament and what does it mean? But what I want to do in our time together is I want to set the stage as we talk through this verse. And, and the context of this famous verse that we're going to look at in the book of Isaiah, the context is darkness and that people had been living in darkness. And it was true then and it's certainly true today that people are in darkness. Now, I recognize that as modern people, we don't like the idea of being told that we're in darkness because we consider ourselves just the opposite of that. We consider ourselves enlightened. We consider ourselves informed and forward-looking. But listen, sometimes we don't even realize that as we celebrate Christmas, uh, not even understanding what it means. Christmas is a celebration that the world's wisdom had failed and that God had to intervene. We, my, my family, we live in a two-story house, and there's moments where my wife and I will be upstairs and the three kids will be downstairs. And inevitably, with siblings, there's going to be an argument. And so what we'll do is we will just send wisdom down from the second floor to the first floor. And we'll just say revolutionary things like, share. <laughs> Another revolutionary thing. Take turns. Another revolutionary thing. Xander, you cannot eat the whole pizza. I don't care how hungry you are. You got to leave your sisters a couple slices. And so we send the wisdom, right? But when the wisdom that we send to our kids stops working, eventually we have to come down ourselves. That, my friends, is the story of Christmas, that we couldn't fix it ourselves. And so God had to come and fix it for us. Now, I said that the setting of this passage in Isaiah 9 is about darkness, about people who had, uh, Isaiah chapter 7, 8, 9 is really about uh, 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 the looming war that's coming in the nation of Judah, in Jerusalem. And there had, people had been forgotten and those who had been walking in darkness had been given this gift that they desperately needed. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, it says it this way. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now, we, this is a messianic passage, and we know that because when Matthew was writing the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus goes to those areas, which is the area of Galilee, Matthew remembers and he says, this is exactly what Isaiah said. 
that they, had gone, that they had gone to this area. The people that were living in darkness had seen this light. In the place where there was no light, the light of the world had arrived. And as the light was going to shine, as this child was born, the child is given five names. And it's like, this child, this is what this, is what this child is going to be called. And, and what it reveals to us, the names that th- this child is given, reveals to us who he is and how he wants to shine in your life and in mine. So we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. It says it this way. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, I want, I want to look at these names um, individually because I really believe there's so much that it's speaking to us. If you're a note taker, when he says that there is this, his name is wonderful, what does that mean? If you're a note taker, number one is that God wants to infuse your life with wonder. And the reality is, is that most of us throw around the word wonderful like it's this kind of superlative that just means it was really nice. Oh, how was dinner? Oh, it was wonderful. Hey, how was Spider-Man? Oh, it was wonderful. Hey, how was your, how was your colonoscopy? It was wonderful. And so, and, and listen, not a lot of clapping for the colonoscopy, though. Weird. Um, and so, but here's what happens, is that we understand that wonderful is a powerful word. That's why we add it to just about everything to make something better. You know what's better than bread? Wonder bread. You know what's better than just any woman? Wonder woman. Uh, you know what's better than your friend Steve? Stevie Wonder. And when you're trying to compliment your wife, you quote the song and say, honey, your body is a wonderland. You know why? Because saying, honey, your body's like Epcot Center just sounds weird. And so, kids, don't try that at home. And so, but the word wonderful, the word wonderful in, in Hebrew is this word pele, P-E-L-E, doesn't have anything to do with the soccer player. But Pele in Hebrew means something that is beyond natural occurrence and beyond human comprehension. That this child is going to be called wonderful. That, that name means that there is nothing that is outside the realm of possibility for those of us who follow him. It's a word that describes God's ability no matter the situation or the circumstance. That all of us are looking for a Pele kind of wonderful in our lives, a life that is beyond the mundane and the ordinary, a kind of wonderful that not only meets our needs and exceeds our expectations and makes everything better than we ever could have made it on our own. In fact, in Psalm 107, in in, in the book of Psalms, in, in Psalm 107, there's this song that is written about Israel's history. And so the song is just recounting what happened in the history of Israel. And then there's this phrase that almost serves like the chorus to the song because it gets repeated several times. And you'll see it in Psalm 107, verse 8. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his pele, wonderful works to the children of men. And so it doesn't matter what's happening in the history of Israel. He goes and he repeats that, that his works are wonderful and we should give thanks for his goodness. You see, the challenge that we have is that we're living life in real time. And so when you live life in real time, you have a hard time seeing what happens right now because we're in the middle of it. And it's kind of tough after the fact because we're usually on to the next thing and it's hard to give thanks before because it hasn't happened yet. 
But I want you to follow the thinking with me if you would. If every time you've been through a difficult season, you've gotten through it, and then you've been able to look back with the wisdom of hindsight, and now you've been able to look and say, now I see what God was doing. I couldn't see it before, and I had a very difficult time seeing it during because I was going through it, but afterwards I'm able to see it. But now you can look back and recognize what God was doing, and he did it in a way that you never thought that, that it would happen, and certainly not a way that you could have dreamed up. But you realize the wisdom and the unexpected way that God did what he did. And if that's the case in every situation in your past... And you're able to see it now because it's over and you're able to look back with the benefit of wisdom and hindsight. Then isn't it true that what you're currently going through, if that's happened in every past situation, then certainly isn't it true in your current situation, the moment that you get through it, that that's going to be the case as well? The only difference is we aren't on the other side of it yet. So what do you do during? Psalm 107 says, thank God, give thanks for his wonderful, his pele, works. So can I encourage you in this to slow down and give thanks? That giving thanks is about acknowledging what God has done and what God is doing in real time. And here's what you find. When you give thanks for the good that God is constantly doing, you'll start to see the wonder because there's so much joy when you live there. He's wonderful. The second thing that he is is counselor. And what does that mean if you're a note taker? It means that God wants to empower your life with wisdom. You see, when Isaiah uh, calls the coming Messiah counselor, he's telling us that the Messiah wants to be personally involved in our lives. And I want you to think about what a counselor does. First, they help you sort out what's already happened, right? They help you put the past into perspective. Then they help you deal with the emotions that you're dealing with in the present that might be out of whack because of what happened in the past. And then they help you chart a course for the future with a new perspective and the new tools that you've found. But see, here's the deficiency that any counselor that you meet with has, and that is they don't know anything about you when you, when, when you meet them. And they're getting to know you as they help you navigate whatever it is that brought you to their office. But the counselor that Isaiah is talking about, this counselor, he already knows everything about you. He knows your strengths and he knows your weaknesses. He knows your hopes and your fears. He knows everything about you. You know what the amazing thing is? He loves you anyway. And if all of that is true, why would we ever dream of going somewhere else for counsel? And listen, I can tell you this. I mean, I've been a pastor now for almost 25 years. I got started when I was six. And <laughs> laugh it up. So you're all going to get here. And so, no, but, uh, but I've, been a, I've been a pastor for almost 25 years. And, I, and I'm still yet to have someone come into my office and say, Pastor, I read what the Bible says. And I said, I'm throwing that to the wind. I've got my own fresh idea as to what I'm going to do. And I'm so glad I did. Like, I'm still yet, I'm still waiting for the person who said, I took what God said and said, forget it. I got my own deal and it worked out great. Now, I've had people say, I know what God said and I did my own thing. And that's when everything was set on fire, right? But it's never that it worked out. Why? Because there is something that happens when I take the counsel of the wonderful counselor. In fact, in, in, um, you'll, you'll see it up here in Psalm uh, Psalm 119, he says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. 
for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. Isn't that amazing? That when I listen to what the wonderful counselor is telling me, I'm smarter than the people that want to do me harm. And when I listen to, the, to the, that, the person who's wonderful and counselor, I'm even smarter than the people who are trying to do me good and teach me. But there's even greater wisdom there. When my kids were, were taking karate years ago, uh, there was this one Saturday that they had a guest sensei. And uh, the sensei was having the kids do some sparring. But, you know, when you're doing sparring, you're just, you know, you're punching and this and that. But nobody's punching with real force. Well, this sensei wanted to change that. And he's like, you need to, if you're going to block a punch, you got to block a punch at full force and power. So he decides to use someone as an example. And he decides to pick my daughter, Mia, who's probably about seven at the time. And he says, okay, what's your name, Mia? Okay, Mia, I want you to punch me in the face. And she says, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to punch people in the face. And, uh, and he says, look, I'm the teacher. You see the black belt? I want you to punch me in the face. And, um, and so she says, okay. And then she goes to punch him. And she stops about two inches before his face. And, um, and, and she says, no, Mia, I want you to punch me in the face. And she says, no, I, I'm sorry. My parents say that I'm not allowed to punch people in the face, which is really more of her, mom, her mom's rule. Um, I'm okay with it in certain circumstances. Um, so <laughs> that's a sermon for another time. And so, but, so he says, okay, uh, sit down. And then he asks my niece, Carrie, who's about six at the time. And uh, she's like this little blonde thing. And she stands up and he says, okay, blonde girl. Didn't even try to find her name out. Just called her blonde girl. Blonde girl, I want you to punch me in the face. He had not even gotten through that entire sentence when he goes, boom, and rocks this guy square in the nose. He... He was visibly stunned, and all the parents started clapping. <laughs> it is one of the 10 best moments of my life that I have witnessed, right? And I mean, th it was incredible. And this guy, he sees everybody clapping and cheering, and, uh, and he's like, uh, okay, uh, let's move on to something else. And, and now, listen, God's wisdom if I will receive God's counsel in my life, even those who are trying to do me wrong aren't going to succeed because I have more wisdom. And those who are even trying to teach me, listen, um, I will have even greater wisdom than them. Why? Because, listen, God's wisdom is going to stop me from getting punched in the face because the counselor is, adv is advising me and the wisdom causes me to embrace it and enjoy the blessing. So he's wonderful. He's counselor. The third one, and this might be my favorite one, he is mighty God. And that is that God wants to propel your life with power. You see, mighty God could be my personal favorite description of Jesus in this passage because mighty doesn't just mean strong like we might think it means. The word mighty is this Hebrew word gabor, G-I-B-O-R. It's used about 159 times in the Old Testament, and it's either translated as valiant, hero, or champion. And I love that Isaiah is saying this, that the coming Messiah would be the hero that we need to do the things that we could never do for ourselves. And, and listen, I, the thing that is challenging for us, especially when we're young, is that we think we're mighty when we're young. Because basically when you're mighty, I mean, when you're, when you're young, you feel invincible, right? Because, you know, 
you sleep on the floor and whatever, you know, like nothing hurts. You fall down and hurt yourself 20 minutes later, you know, because you're basically made of rubber until you're about 35. Um, and, and I used to think, I remember being young and thinking I was indestructible. And now I have pain in all these weird places. Like I woke up the other day and I was hobbling down the stairs and my, and my wife is like, what happened to you? And I said, I slept weird. And I'm like, Ugh. And, I'm, and you know, I can't even breathe. And, and, she's, and, and once again, we have found that socially acceptable that it's like, I slept wrong. And now it's like, oh, that's why you're knocking on death's door. And, uh, and so, and I, it's so weird, man. And so I was a few weeks ago, I'm driving with my family. And uh, we're driving down Pembroke Road. It's two lanes on each side. And my wife says something that was so funny. I start laughing. And I'm laughing so hard that I get a cramp <laughs> on my side. And now I'm laughing and screaming at the same time. And so I'm, kinda, I'm trying to do this thing where I try to like lean into the cramp to make it stop cramping. And as I have the cramp, and then I start swerving, and she's like, Bob, you're going to kill us. So then I'm trying to move, but every time I move this way, the cramp hurts from laughing. And, uh, and I almost hit a car, and, and, and I'm glad I didn't. Could you imagine that funeral? Well, Pastor Bob, he died laughing, doing the thing he loves, you know. And, you know, a, a while back, this was a few months ago, I, I had to, one of my, my, one, of the, one of the blinds in my daughter's room, got messed up. I'd take it off and kind of re redo it. And then um, I was up on the ladder. And you know how if you've ever like redone these blinds, you got to kind of put one in and then you got to put the other one in a certain way so that the little chain thing works. And so I had kind of put the one side in that doesn't turn. And then I was putting the other side in, but then I put that one in and then the other one kind of came out a little bit. And I'm like, okay, but I got to hold this thing up while I go to the other side. This really becomes like a two-man job, but it's just me. So I'm on the ladder, and I'm like, well, I don't want to get down from the ladder. And then I had this bright idea that I could do this hop thing on, and just kind of hop on the ladder to the other side of the window. Now, just FYI, this is really frowned on by the ladder community. This is also why women live longer than men. And so, uh, so I start hopping on the ladder I didn't even think to like get down from the ladder a little bit. I'm like almost at the top. And I start hopping on the ladder. Well, inevitably, the ladder gets a little wiggly and topples over. I fall flat on my back onto tile. And it's like, Ugh, totally knocks the wind out of me. I let out a loud scream that my daughter, Mia, said sounded kind of girly. And, and you know, and it's that moment that you say, I am not as strong as I once was, right? You're like, I am not mighty. I, I'm really not. And I'm grateful that wherever it is that we are weak, God is strong and can be the champion who fights when the fight is too much for us. Now, I, I, I think that there's something wonderful about this phrase and why I love it so much, mighty God, is that this was the Hebrew understanding of the Messiah, that he was powerful, heroic, wise, and wondrous. You can imagine the confusion when the baby in the manger showed up with parents who were from Nazareth of all places. I mean, Nazareth was a bad neighborhood in the first century. And I was in Nazareth about 20 years ago, and it's still a bad neighborhood. We were there for like 10 minutes, and the, the tour guy was like, 
it, we got to get out of here. It's, it's getting dark. And I'm thinking like, am I going to get mugged in the birthplace of, Je uh, you know, the hometown of Jesus? And like, it's very possible. And so they got us out of there. And so, but part of what makes Jesus mighty God or El Gabor in, in Hebrew is that he doesn't stand afar off and watch humanity suffer. Instead, he entered the fray of time and space and became one of us and suffered beside us and heroically brought forgiveness and redemption. And the point is this, that there really is nothing too hard for him, that he's mighty and heroic, and the best part of it is that he is on your side. He's on your side even when you aren't on your side. You ever look back at moments and say, man, I was my own worst enemy. You know, when you were your own worst enemy, God was still on your side working for your good, even when you were working to counteract that. And that's why, listen, Jesus came to save us from sin for sure. And sometimes he has to save us from ourselves. So he's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. The fourth one is he's everlasting father. And the, if you fill that in, it says God wants to coach your life with care. The idea of everlasting father and, and the, the Hebrew idea is that he is the source of all eternity, that he's the creator himself. You see, one of the wonders of Christmas is that the eternal God who transcends time entered time and dwelt among us. And not only did he enter time, but he promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And Christmas becomes that yearly reminder that God is always with us. That's why the prophecy that is given in Isaiah chapter 7 is all, it's all connected to Isaiah 7, 8, 9 are all part of one, one story that I'll tell you about in a moment. But that's why Matthew cues in on that. In Matthew chapter 1, he quotes uh, Isaiah chapter 7. He says, Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. So what does that mean for us? It means that no matter how bad things get, God is with us, and he's going to get us through it because he's not going to leave us. Because that's what a good parent does, right? Dads, you know what we do? We frame reality for our kids. We speak life into our kids. We model who our kids should become. And I'm telling you, I watch this all the time when dads are biting and sarcastic with their kids. You know how their kids turn out? Loving and respectful. No. Biting and sarcastic. And I find it hilarious almost when parents are like, they're so surprised. Like, I don't know why my son is so angry and sarcastic all the time. Like, really? You don't own a mirror at your house? Uh, and, and, and listen, because dad, you and I, we're modeling reality for our kids. And the way that you speak to your kids is the way your kids are going to speak to others. And the way that you speak to your spouse is the way your kids are going to speak to their spouse. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says it in the New Testament. He says this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, uh, as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And that word discipline, just so you know, is this Greek word, padilla, which means to train. And that word padilla is where we get the English word pediatrics. And you know, what does a, pedia a pediatrician do? They, they check a child's health so that they can flourish. And I, and I know if you're, if you're uh, close to being my age, anytime you hear, any anyone my age hears the word discipline, and they think about being hit with a stick a chancleta, or basically anything that was around. And um, like my parents had no understanding of something called timeout. They knew about knockout, but they didn't know about timeout. And so, and what happens is, is that now our generation as parents, we go to the other extreme. 
And we tell their kids that everything they do is okay and everything they do is right. You got a bad grade. Well, I'm sure it's the teacher's fault. I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that you don't know math. And so, and, 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 but listen, and this is why parenting is a challenge because sometimes the thing that your child needs is not appeasement. Sometimes the thing your child needs is a coach. And, and um, so about eight years ago, my daughter Livy's almost 10. She was about two at the time. My wife and I went, uh, we had a babysitter come over and, and Carrie and I went out for lunch. And when we got back, there was writing all over the wall in the hallway down to where our kids' rooms are. So Livy's about two. So I go like CSI on this thing and I'm trying to figure out what happened. And anyway, all of the writing is like two feet off the ground. And then I see this little handprint that I'm like, okay, I think I, I think I know what happened here. So Carrie and I say to Livy, Livy, uh, did you write on the wall? No. So what do you think happened here? Xander did it. And I told my wife, and I'm like, that little sinner. She can't even pronounce her own name correctly, but she's more than happy to throw her brother under the bus for this. And you know what she needs at that moment? She needs not like, well, I just want you to know you're so creative. The world is your canvas. No! She needs a coach to tell her that the greatest lesson here which is about owning your mistakes and telling the truth because if a child continues to lie, they become a liar and nobody trusts liars. And you know the other thing? Liars don't trust anyone either. And that is a terrible way to live your life. And I'm happy to report that Livy is as honest as Abe Lincoln today. And so, but here's why we struggle is because most of us don't want God as a coach who's training us. We just want someone who's gonna take the pain away and make everything better. But if you want to run a race that is worthy of your one and only life, then there's probably going to be some pain involved. And here's why, listen, sometimes God is coaching us like a dad would coach his kids. And so whether he's showering us with unconditional love and grace, or he's coaching us through a difficult season, one thing is sure, that he isn't leaving us. Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, and then the last one, Prince of Peace. Last one on your notes, that God wants to comfort your life with peace. Now, this is a huge promise. I told you I was going to give you some of the background of this, and this is really important. Because Israel, uh, or I should say uh, the people, the Jewish people, were caught between several conflicts, and they had to choose a side. Now, if you weren't aware of this, previously to this situation that Isaiah is talking about, the country of Israel had gone through a civil war. And the tribes to the north had become their own country called Israel. The tribes to the south, with Jerusalem as its capital, had become Judah. And the king, whose name was Ahaz, uh, is approached by Isaiah. And he's saying, listen, I know there's a lot of conflict all around you, but I'm saying if you trust God, he's going to get you through this. Now, there was a lot of problems because the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria had gotten together and they wanted to attack Israel. And the reason that they wanted to attack Israel was because the, the uh, kingdom of Assyria was on its way to conquer everything that was uh, west of them. There was also, uh, to the east, this group called Edom, the Edomites, they were attacking Judah. And to the south, the Philistines were attacking them as well. And so there was really no good choice except for what the prophet Isaiah said to the king is that if you will wait and watch, you'll see God deliver you and bring peace. And that might be where we find ourselves. 
We find ourselves in this place where things feel like they're about to explode and our deepest desire is for there to be peace. And it's Christmas, so there's all kinds of family drama because there ain't no kind of drama like family drama. And, and the one thing you don't want in your life is more drama. You know why? Because you're normal. And I know that, and you might say, I don't know, I don't feel like there's any drama in my family at all. Oh, there is. And it's you. <laughs> and so, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you. But listen, you want peace. You want peace in your family and you want peace when you go to work. And listen, you want peace in your country because how is it that no matter what the topic is, uh, is the basis now for an argument, no matter what? And the idea of Jesus being the prince of peace. Remember, in Hebrew, this would be the, the prince. He'd be the ruler of shalom. And listen, shalom is so much more than just the absence of conflict. It's bigger than that. Shalom was about wholeness as much as it was about there being no conflict. It's about peace of mind as much as it is about life not being in pieces. Paul the Apostle would say it this way in Romans chapter 8. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Shalom is about wholeness. It's about being at peace with yourself and about being at peace with God. But what if instead of looking for peace as a feeling or looking for peace as a state that we live in, what if we came to this realization that peace is a person? And the closer that we get to that person, the more peace we find. And that is the promise that Jesus made us. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden or you're burdened, and I will give you rest. The question that we need to answer is, do we want rest? Do we want rest from the constant struggle and trying to make things happen on our own? And you know that it is possible to not control everything and still live with tremendous joy. And the way that we do that is by knowing that the Prince of Peace has come and that he wants to transform us. You see, maybe things haven't worked out. And maybe you're, you're here and you're like, man, things have not worked out the way that I thought they would. And listen, I want to tell you that it's very possible that that could be by God's design. Because when the disappointments of life come into our lives, those many times become the moments that we call out to him. In fact, you might, be, might realize that, in fact, it's those disappointments that have kind of brought me here today. And that's why God has allowed things to play out the way that he had. Not because he wants us to suffer, but because he knows that life doesn't make sense without him. That we were created to know God and walk with him. So God uses everything in our lives to draw us closer to him. Because we all recognize, I mean, to the core of our being that we need forgiveness. Because we've fallen short of God's standard. Listen, if we're honest, we've fallen short of our own standard. And God's standard as well. And that's why Jesus came and died on a cross. Because we were separated from God because of our sin. But he loved us too much to leave us in that state. And so my question is this. Do you want to be free? Because God wants to free us of the things that are holding us back and holding us down. And he wants to change our lives starting right now. And all it takes is for us to be open to him. 
And you might say, well, you know, I'm not into God. I'm just here because of the kids' choir. I get that. But here's what I want you to be aware of. You might not be into God, but God is into you. That was my story. I wasn't looking for God. But I'm so grateful that he was looking for me. You see, so I'm going to invite us all to stand as we, these final moments. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven and changed and spend eternity with him. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to come to him and rest and be free. To be free from your past and free from your failures and free from your hurts, from guilt, from fear, from doubt. To be free from the person that we used to be and enter the life that God has for us as he changes us. See, that God wants to take your life and transform it. And that begins with forgiveness, but it doesn't end there. That's just where the journey begins. And as we do, everything in life becomes different. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do in these final moments. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be free. I want to be forgiven. And I want to take that first step in what I'm supposed to do. Then what I'm going to invite you to do is in a moment, the band's going to begin to sing. And as they do, I'm going to invite you from wherever it is that you're standing to meet me here at the base of this platform. And this is going to be the moment where things begin to change. And you can circle it on the calendar that this was the day that I invited God to do a work in me and I was never the same. So if you're ready for God to do that work, He's been waiting for you. The Bible says if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. That's the promise. So if you're ready, you meet me here and we're going to pray together and watch God do a work that only He can do. As Pastor George leads us. Listen, I'm going to pray for these that have come forward in just a second, but I just want to tell you, yeah, come on up. We'll wait for you. If you're in your seat struggling, like I'm supposed to be up there, let me just tell you what happens if you don't hear what God is whispering in your ear to encourage you to do. You're going to drive home and you're going to tack this regret onto a whole bunch of other regrets in your life. And isn't this what this is all about? It's just not continuing this pattern of regretting and just I feel guilty about this. What if instead you just came to Jesus or came back to Jesus and just said, God, I'm just laying all this out because I want you to do a work myself. So listen, I'm not going to ask the band to sing another song, but if you say, that's me, I'm supposed to be up there, then I just want you right now, just take a step. God bless you, bro. Yeah, come on up. Come on up. We're going to wait for you. 
if a friend invited you, just say to them, hey, listen, if you come with me, I'll, if you'll come with me, I'll go too. And so, yeah, God bless you. So, yeah, come on up. We'll wait for you. God bless you. Come on, we're going to wait for you. Come on. Yeah, we'll wait for you. Come on. Listen, I want to pray for you. And then I want to lead you in a prayer, not because it's some magic formula. But I know this, even though they're my words, if they express your heart to God in this moment, that he'll hear us and answer and act. And we will leave this place different than we came in, even if we don't realize it. That this can be our moment for everything to begin to change. Church, let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us and that you love us and that you want to do good in our lives. And I just pray for every person, Lord, that's come forward, that this would be the moment that everything began to change. For those that are coming to you for the first time, and even those who are coming back, God, may this be the Christmas that everything begins to change. Those of you that came forward, I'm going to just invite you to just repeat this prayer out loud. Just say, Dear God, I come to you today, and I'm sorry for all I've done wrong. But I thank you for Jesus who died for me, who rose again, that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.